that was kind of anticlimactic. <laughs> I wasn't pointing at you, Jonathan. I was just saying, all right, so we got this beautiful setup here. Isn't this pretty cool, y'all? How about that? Uh, a group of about uh, four people, uh, not including myself, came and in an hour sort of transformed this space into to what you see today. So we thank you, uh, thank those uh, who were able to come out and help us out tomorrow, making our, our facility feel a little bit more Christmassy. Uh, welcome to Transit. A happy Sunday to all of you. Glad that you are here with us, particularly if you're online. Thank you for uh, tuning in. You could be doing anything. You probably are doing anything uh, in your pajamas, drip, sipping some coffee or cocoa or tea or whatever. Uh, we are uh, extremely glad that you have chosen to worship with us, as, uh, as are we uh, glad that those of you who are in person are with us as well. Uh, new bumper, kind of, sort of. So that means we're in a new series. We're in a four-week series uh, in Advent, Advent being a time that we um, remember the, the coming of Jesus during the Christmas time, and uh, we're going to look at some Advent kind of scriptures this morning. We're going to look at actually two passages, so break open your Bibles and turn firstly to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah is going to be like right in the middle of your Bible. If you, uh, if you see the, uh, looking forward to the word Isaiah chapter 9, if you're unfamiliar with your Bible, just go to the table of contents and look for Isaiah there. Isaiah chapter 9, and then Turn in your New Testament to the book of John, John's Gospel, John chapter 1. We're going to be reading both of those together this morning, looking at the scriptures and what they have to see about light and darkness as it points to Jesus. Isaiah 9 and John chapter 1. The words will be on the screen. Read these out loud with me. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. And turn all the way over to John's Gospel. We're going to read the first five verses in chapter 1, the Apostle John writes, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is God's Word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Pray that it would nourish us and give us hope this morning as we turn our thoughts and minds, our pocketbooks, and, uh, and our homes and houses to the Christmas time, Lord God. We, uh, we just pray that you would make it in our hearts the festive event that it is in much of society. But unlike the, the celebration of Christmas at, 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 in society, Lord God, we pray that you would in our hearts go even deeper, God, that we would see not just the, the celebration of Christmas as a time of gift-giving and of merriment, but, Lord, we would see it and remember it and celebrate it as, the, as that moment when uh, heaven cracked the sky and uh, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus himself, was born as a babe in a manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes, and this babe grew up to be our Savior who would rescue us and redeem the world. 
So Lord, help us to see that in Scripture today. Uh, point our hearts to Jesus, and we pray that you uh, change us in His uh, in this out of His Word. We pray this in His name, Amen, and Amen. All right, so uh, studying Advent a little bit today, and I want to begin by um, reminding you of something that happens almost every December. Any any sci-fi fans here in the building? Sci-fi movies? Not not a soul. I got. I got three out of, a, out of a little bit of a crowd, right? So uh, I'm not a sci-fi fan. I admit that. But I am kind of a Star Wars fan. I've seen most of the, I've seen all the Star Wars movies except for many of the animation uh, movies like the Clone Wars and stuff like that. I haven't seen all of that. My boys were uh, kind of fond of those. Um, but there's something that happens kind of towards the end of the year in regards to the, the Star Wars universe that we've gotten used to. Almost every year, there is, there is a new movie of sorts that Star Wars puts out. And this year, of course, uh, there is an animation. It's, uh, it's the Lego holiday movie. Anybody seen it? Oh, come on now. You got to go see it. All right, we watched it. Don't, don't go see it. <laughs> I think it's on Netflix or something. And uh, it's kind of an amalgamation of, of all your favorite scenes in, uh, in all of Star Wars. Uh, so it's a movie that your kids will enjoy, even if parents, you don't enjoy it. But I think the craze in regards to Star Wars isn't necessarily uh, the, the Lego holiday movie, right? But it is The Mandalorian, right? And even though that doesn't ne necessarily come out during the Christmas time, um, it's something that all of us are tuning in. I would tell you, my, my family, we got Disney Plus just so we could see the Mandalorian, and the craze really isn't the Mandalorian, the warrior character, uh, you know, that, 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 that's kind of the, the hero of the story. We watch it because we want to see what Baby Yoda's going to do next. Maybe you are like that, too. And the reason why I start with this idea of, of mentioning Star Wars and, uh, and the release of uh, all these classic Star Wars films that we've come to know and love over the years is, is the reason why they, like, it's not the reason why they released them at Christmas, but it, it's kind of appropriate that they release them in Christmas because when you think about Star Wars and the Star Wars movies, even the animations of Star Wars, every one of them is about the battle between light and darkness. Every one of them is about this battle that happens between, between good and evil. You got the evil empire that's the dark side. You got the Jedi Knights that are fighting for light. And every Jedi is emboldened by the Force, this eternal power that's at work within them. The Force is at work in the world, the forces that work in the human race trying to get them to move forward toward what is good and what is right. And that kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? As Christians, the, the, the epic story of, of good and evil is what's behind the message of the gospel. Light overcoming darkness, good overcoming evil. Uh, you have the, the, the person of the Holy Spirit that in, infuses us with the, the light of God and, of course, the hero of the story it's Jesus, the one who will come and who will come again. Now, it's important to point out that, you know, the, in Star Wars, we have the force. You've heard me say this before, right? Christians, we don't believe in the force, right? The Holy Spirit is not a, a, not a force that you can wield as you want. The Holy Spirit is a person, the third person of the Trinity that points us to Jesus. That's where the, the metaphor sort of, sort of falls short, doesn't it? But therein is the, the, some of the likeness of what we experience in light versus darkness in Star Wars and what we experience in the real world. And these are the great themes of Advent. Advent means coming or 
for arrival. It's a Latin word, and in the church calendar, Advent is celebrated the four weeks before Christmas. And during Advent, we, uh, we were reminded of themes like hope and love and joy and peace that point to all those things that this babe born in a manger is for us as he comes on the scene and grows up to become our Savior. And so our theme today for Advent as we begin uh, this season is light in the darkness. Those are the songs that we were singing this morning, weren't they? And part of the reason why we put lights on our Christmas tree is to remind ourselves of, of this time that light came into the world and darkness could not overcome it. If you've been in a church that has uh, a candlelight service on Christmas Eve and you have one single light that spread to everyone and you turn the lights off and uh, you sing Silent Night, it's this idea that light has come, that light in the form of Jesus, this babe born in a manger, is the actual light of the world, and therein is Advent. But to appreciate the light, I think it's right that you have to understand the darkness. There's prim primarily two ways that darkness is used as a metaphor in Scripture. The first is as evil. Think about the evil that's in our world, the bad things that happen, some of them because there's bad actors behind them, some of them because of things that we can't even explain. So that's one, darkness as evil. And the other way that darkness is portrayed in Scripture is this idea of gloom and despair and uh, hopelessness that we feel in life, sometimes because of the circumstances of our life, sometimes because of sin that happens to us, and often sometimes because of the sin that we ourselves are, are committing. And so darkness, unfortunately, isn't hard to find. Like, we have to go no further than the, the news that we watch every day or to pick up your phone and just, uh, just look at it. And grotesque images of evil are literally sent to you right on your smartphone from all around the world. And in the world that we live in today, with the technology that we have, at any moment you can know what's happening, both good and bad, at, at the far corners of the world. Evil is right there amongst us, literally right there in our palms. Unending conflicts, wars, rumors of wars, nuclear proliferation, poverty, homelessness, murder, death, killing, terrorism, and of course this year, the advent of COVID-19. And so darkness is not hard for us to find. We also see that darkness plays out in our very own lives. It plays out in how we act towards one another. It plays out in our contempt for other people. It plays out in those who are marginalized in our society that we might have the, uh, the, the opportunity to, to care for and to come alongside, but we choose not to. Darkness is also embedded in the story of the human race. If we go all the way back to the Old Testament book of Genesis, in the beginning, God creates the world, and after every day of creation, he pronounces that that day was good, and then there was night, and there was morning, and the next day it happens, and God pronounces that it was good, and then there was day, and there was night, and all that happens through six days of creation. After God creates humanity on the sixth day, he pronounces that everything was very good, and on the seventh day, God rested. We only have to turn the page to Genesis chapter 4, that very next day, after creation, that we hear the story of, of Cain killing his brother Abel. And why did Cain kill Abel? Pretty much because he was jealous. 
You get to Genesis 6, and Scripture tells us that God grieves what he's made because human beings are perpetually violent towards one another. And so what the Bible is telling us, even from the very beginning, is that because of Genesis 3, the sin that ensues from, from our first parents, Adam and Eve, there's something in us that's broken and dark. And because there's something in us, there's something in our world that's broken and dark. And that brings us to our text. Here's what Isaiah says. But the people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. If you know your church history, if you know your history history, right? Isaiah lived around 740 B.C. He's in Jerusalem. He's a prophet ministering amongst his own people, the people of the southern tribe of Israel, the tribe of, of Judah. And, and he's giving them a warning in the, the ensuing chapters surrounding chapter 9. He's giving them a warning that they should turn to God, they should trust in God to do what's right and just so that God will protect them. Because heretofore, they have not been doing that. Israel has been in and out of um, doing what the, the nations that surround them do, worshiping pagan gods and not caring for the people that God would have them care for, not abiding in his commandments and um, observing the, the, the covenant that he had invited them into where he would be their God and God would call them their people. And so Isaiah is issuing a warning that if they would turn to God and follow God, they would experience God's protection. And if they fail to do that, then he would remove that protection and awful things would begin to happen. And the truth is, the Israelites didn't actually need a prophet to tell them that. They didn't need clairvoyance to tell them that if they did not follow God, bad things were going to happen. There was an empire forming in what is modern-day Iraq and Syria that was on the move, and its army was heading straight towards Israel. And so what the prophet Isaiah knew is that if God did not protect them, then they had no hope. And of course, that army was the Assyrians, the great Assyrian Empire. Now, there's, all, there's been all kinds of, of empires throughout the history of the world. The Assyrians were one of the greatest empires of the ancient world, and they were great because they existed for 1,900 years in the Middle East. Think about that, 1,900 years. America's barely 200 years. It's a nation that existed for 1,900 years. That's longer than the Greeks. The Greek Empire lasted. That's longer than, longer than the, the Roman Empire lasted. And in the days of Isaiah, Assyria was having a resurgence, a resurgence of, uh, in, in their leadership under King Tiglath-Pileser III. Uh, Tiglath-Pileser III was a great military strategist, and his strategy was simply to scoop up as much territory as he possibly could, and then to um, attain a logistics tail that would be able to support all of those lands that he, uh, he had taken over and occupied. And so if you know your geography, which most of us don't, I'm going to show you a picture of, of uh, 8th century B.C. Assyria. The Assyrian Empire controlled all of modern-day Iraq, Iran, Syria, and parts of Turkey, which means that they uh, controlled the, the Fertile Crescent, that, um, that scrumptious land, right? The, the most wanted land in all the Middle East that in, incorporated the Tigris, and the Euphrates River. Their, their, uh, their capital was the, the, the famed Nineveh. And the reason why they were aiming towards Israel, if you know your geography here, 
is that Israel sat along the major trade route that would get uh, the Assyrian Empire all the way to Africa. Think about the, all the resources that would uh, be available in Africa. And so if they were to um, gain control of the territory of, of, of Israel proper, they would have a straight thoroughfare from all of their, all of their lands in the Middle East all the way to Africa, thereby providing, being able to supply, provide supplies for, uh, for all of their doings. And so what does Assyria do? They attacked. They attacked Israel. 740, uh, 740 uh, BC, under Pelagius III, they attack the northern parts of, of, uh, of the northern tribe of Israel. They take those people into exile. And then in 722 BC, under his son, they attack again. And the Assyrians basically overtake all of the northern tribe of Israel. And when I say overtake, what I'm saying is they decimated them. They took all the people into exile, forced them to leave their land. They were forced to give up their religion. They were forced to give up their identity. For all, for all intents and purposes, these Israelite people of the northern tribe were assimilated into other countries, other cultures, and they are heretofore known as the lost tribes of Israel, and they have never recovered. Second Kings helps us to understand what's happening here. The Chronicler writes, In the days of Pekah, king of Israel, Tiglath, Pelezer, the king of Assyria, came and captured Ejon, and Abath, Bel, Makkah, and Genoa, Kedesh, Hazor, Gilead, and Galilee, all the land of Naphtali, as he carried the people captive to Assyria. So this is documented history. And so, obviously, the history behind here is all that's happening when we read these words of, of Isaiah in his prophecy. And so when we come to Isaiah chapter 9 and we, and we read Isaiah's words, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish, those words here, he's actually offering a ray of hope. He, he's giving his people a glimmer of hope. He says, the people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. And he's putting, he's reminding them of the, of the terror, of the trauma that they've experienced by these attacking armies. And he's saying, hey, your, your life may be dark right now, but God is going to give us hope in the days days to come. And if you read on in verses 3 and 4 and, and, and on, Isaiah actually goes and he predicts that the, the Assyrian soldiers, that their boots, uh, the boots of their attackers will be trampled and their bloody garments will be burned in the fire. And finally, the prophet announces why they can be so confident that God will actually come as a light and shine in this northern area of Israel once again. Look down at verse 6. Very familiar words. He says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Verse 7, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So we read these words in verse 6 and 7 in particular, and what do we think? One word. We think Jesus, right? All right, he's, he's predicting the coming of the Messiah. 
And, and, and that is true. We know that because 700 years in the future, Jesus would be born, right? He would be this king, born as a baby, swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. He would grow up to become the king of the Jews, the king of the world, and he would rescue us from our sin. That's what his name means. But guess what? Scholars actually say that what Isaiah is talking about here is actually local, right? He's, uh, that that's prophecy has this, this effect. It's a local fulfillment, and it's also a future fulfillment. And so what Isaiah is firstly talking about is the birth of Hezekiah. Hezekiah is the, is the, is the crown prince of, of the rulers of, of Judah. He is one that the Bible says walks in the, in the likeness, in the shoes of his father, David. Actually, he was, David is his like grand, 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 great, 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 like like eighteen great great grandfathers, right? That's what Hezekiah is. So Hezekiah is this Israelite king who would be a reformer, and he would lead a resurgence of the nation of Israel, and he did that for several decades. And so Hezekiah leads Israel through a time of resurgence, but but Isaiah, of course, doesn't live forever. He he dies. Hezekiah dies, and in time. The, the, the Assyrian Empire actually is defeated by yet another nation to come along and occupy their territory, the Babylonians. And so the Babylonians under Nebuchadnezzar come and uh, they destroy the southern kingdom of Judah in 586 uh, BC, a short 150 years later after the northern kingdom uh, succumbed to the Assyrians. And when this happened, the people of Israel in exile reflect back on what Isaiah says in these very words in chapter 9. And they encourage themselves by reading his words. The people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of darkness, on them has light shone. They're saying to themselves, there must be hope for us. In other words, they glean from the words of Isaiah a promise for their generation that God would send light. He would raise up a deliverer to come and to save them. And so that happened actually again in 583 B.C., the southern kingdom of the Jews were allowed to go back to their promised land. And if you know the story of, of, of Queen Esther, at the very end of Esther, we're introduced to a king by the name of a Persian king by the name of Cyrus. And if you read the Old Testament books of, of Ezra and, and of Nehemiah, we're told that uh, at a certain time, uh, uh, Cyrus, king of Persia, uh, gets a, a vision from God, and it, the vision tells him to allow the Jews to return back to their homeland and to provide all the resources they need to do that. So that's what's happening. Fast forward, no less than 200 years later, there's another land that comes and conquers this territory. It's the Greeks this time under Alexander. And then again, these, the, the, the Israelite people come back to Isaiah's words. They say, but there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. And they read these same words and find hope for yet another generation, that though they are in the midst of darkness, a great light will eventually come. But guess what? After that is another nation. You have the Egyptians, and then after that you have the Syrians, and finally you have the Romans in the time of Jesus. And right before the birth of Jesus, with the Roman Empire as the occupying force, the people of God were yet again looking to the words of Isaiah, and they were reading these same words, and they're saying, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. The people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. What are they saying when they're looking back to Isaiah? They're reflecting on the darkness that they are experiencing in the, in the present, in their present time, and they're 
saying with hope what Isaiah prophesied many years ago, Lord, send us a king that will deliver us once more. Which makes the words that John speaks in his gospel all the more impactful for them, but also for us. Here's what John says. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was a light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Perhaps you've read those words before. Those are, uh, man, those are weighty words. John is giving us a prologue to the 21 chapters of his, of his gospel. And in this prologue, in these first five verses, John is mentioning several themes that he will unpack in the, in the ensuing chapters as he talks about the good news of Jesus and encourages his readers to believe in him. But what I want to point your attention to is that John is making a huge claim. Huge claim. Firstly, John is saying Jesus is the word. He says that in verse 1 and 2. Jesus is the word. There's a lot of meaning uh, in, included in those four words. He's, he's saying Jesus is the perfect expression of, of God's heart to all of humanity. Jesus is the word. He's saying Jesus when he comes to earth, it communicates that the immense love that God has for his people, that he would send someone to rescue them from, from their sins. Jesus is the word. But the thing that we want to focus our attention on this morning is really what he says that comes after that. He says, Jesus is life and light. Light and life are buzzwords in John's gospel. He like sprinkles them sprinkles them everywhere. Like every time John talks, he's talking about life and light, and he's relating it to, to Jesus. Whenever the Bible talks about light and life, it's talking about imagery that, re, uh, that reflects who God is. The light that the Bible talks about, this light that pushes back darkness, John says, is incarnated in the person of Jesus. And of course, that's what we remember and celebrate during Christmas time, that God walked amongst us, John will say in chapter 1, verse 14, that, that, that he walked amongst us to show us this light, the light of God. John's claim is, is simply this, Jesus, who is the Word, who was life and light, is God himself. And of course, it took the Jesus, uh, Jesus' disciples and his readers a little bit of time to, to grasp that, but that is the thing that he is portraying right here. And so here's what I want us to think about. What does, if Jesus is light and, and light reflects who God is, what does light do? Light does a lot, but the first thing it does, it reveals. You walk into a room and if the room is dark and you want to see, what do you do? You feel for the light and you sort of like you push it or you flick it up or down, however that might be in your home. You turn that light on so you can see. And so perhaps Isaiah, when he's prophesying in Isaiah 9, the people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Perhaps Isaiah was getting a vision of, of, of his present day. Perhaps he was getting a, a, a vision of the future, of, of, of Jesus' day. Perhaps even of our day, when man was living in spiritual darkness, 
when we were ignorant about God and living in superstition, just like the, the, the people in society around us. And he is telling us, he is beckoning us to pay attention. Jesus is the light that comes to reveal God. And so light reveals, but light also guides. In the Old Testament, God guided Israel by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Those weren't just artifacts of cloud and fire. They were the very glory of God. That, that pillar of fire and cloud, were, uh, in the, they were the glory of God. It was an epiphany. God himself was guiding Israel uh, in their exodus, during their exodus, through the desert and eventually into the promised land. Not only that, God's word is frequently said to give light or to give illumination or to, to give wisdom, to help us when we don't know where to go because of the darkness that's in us or that's around us. The psalmist says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Think about that. God, who is the word, can be a lamp and a light to us. What does a lamp do for you in your house? Typically, it's on a table. It's going to light a portion of a room, and you turn it on when you want that portion of the room to be lit. But a light oftentimes is, is more broad. Think of a street light. I was driving to Shenandoah to take my son Jonathan back to, to school on uh, last Friday, and uh, I was on a, uh, a local state road going 55 miles an hour, and I was shocked. The road was dark except for my, my, my headlights. But on the side of the road, there is a... a someone just walking on the very edge of the road, and thank God I saw them in time because I almost hit them, and the thought that came to my mind was, this road needs more street lights so that someone driving a car that fast won't hit someone on the side. That's what a street light does. It illumines a broader area of life. So the, the God is a guide. The, the light as a guide helps us to see narrowly, specifically, everything that we need to see, but also helps us to see broadly those things that are coming up. In our, in our journey of life. One of my favorite passages in the Bible, John 8, 12. This is Jesus in one of the seven I am statements in John's gospel. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Here's a great promise from, from our Savior. He says that though, though, though darkness ensues, though darkness um, is, is in us, so to speak, if you follow me, those who come to faith in Jesus and begin to follow him as a disciple, he will have both light that reveals who God is, and he will also have light to guide us through our journey of life. So light reveals, light guides, and if you train your eyes to verse 5, here's what John's gospel says. He says, light dispels darkness. Verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John means here, light and life are opposites of death and darkness, right? Light and life, we see that prevailing throughout his gospel, and he will say that, that um, are, those are meant to be opposites of death and darkness. John's words remind us of the battle that rages around us. There's, there's darkness all around us. We don't even have to go chase it to find it. It comes right to us. It immerses us in it if we, if we allow it to. John reminds us that the world, the world that we live in is dark. It's the plight of Israel in the Old Testament. This, this evil nation after evil nation that, that are leading them to, to cry out for deliver after they've been subjugated by those evil nations. But more specifically, 
John means to highlight that the world is dark because our lives are dark. And there's a battle that rages in us that only the light of God can dissipate. And in verse 5, he is, he is training our attention to two specific things. And the first thing that he says is light shines in the darkness. Light shines in the darkness. If I were to paraphrase this, and it's not right to par- paraphrase Jesus, right? But, but if, if I have the license to paraphrase Jesus, what I think he's saying is, Jesus, the light, shines his light in our darkness. The, 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 the gloom and despair that, that sort of hovers over us. But more specifically, Jesus comes to be with us in our darkness. Those are important words. So, so our darkness isn't too much for Jesus to handle. Right? The, the, the difficulties that we come across, the things that are hard for us to bear, the ways that we are ashamed of ourselves, and um, those things about us and that we do that we don't want anyone to know, all those kinds of things. That darkness, Jesus is not ashamed to come and to be with us during those dark moments. And I think that's important for our hearts to hear. Because, you know, it's one thing to talk about darkness as being out there, kind of around us, in the world. The evil things that have happened in society, the evil actors behind them. It's quite another thing to actually say, to acknowledge that darkness affects our very lives and actually penetrates us. That darkness might be in me. Think about those moments that you can't see your way forward. Think about those who are in the very pits of life and can't imagine that their darkness won't last forever. Think of those struggling with debilitating diseases. Think of those who have thoughts of suicide. Think of those who are struggling with infertility or addictions. The person that has yet another scary visit to the doctor and the darkness that ensues because of that. The truth is, there's not a person on the planet that does not experience some form of darkness. And when we feel darkness, we feel like we're abandoned. We feel like we're alone. And that's the very thing that Scripture promises, right? That even though you might walk through a season of darkness, that darkness will not overcome light. That's what Jesus is saying here. Light shines in the darkness. More specifically, light shines in your darkness. And that darkness cannot be overcome by light. That even in darkness, God is with you. Though you, may not, though you may not see him, though you may not feel like he's near, you can reach out to him in faith because even in darkness, God will sustain you and carry you. Here's what we read in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It's interesting, these, these words, these, these, these words, even though I walk the valley of the shadow of death, in Hebrew, the literal translation is, it's not necessarily the shadow of death, they read the darkest valley. What's God saying? Even though I walk through a dark valley, the, the, the promise of the, of the psalmist is, it's not that you won't have dark valleys, 
it's that it's, it's not a it's not a if it's a when when you walk through dark valleys you don't have to fear specifically fear evil why because god is with us to comfort us jesus comes to incarnate life and light he embodies god's presence he embodies god's love he embodies god's character he shines light into our darkness, which is God's way of saying, I am with you. And if you recall those words, I am with you, prolific because those are the very last words that Jesus says in Matthew 28 before he goes up into heaven to sit at God's right hand. I, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So Jesus shines a light in our darkness. We don't always see it. We don't always feel it. But we trust that God will walk with us and that darkness will not prevail. Jesus shines a light in our darkness. Here's the second thing Jesus says in John chapter 1, verse 5, that not only does light shine in darkness, John tells us that light delivers us from that darkness, or said differently, he pierces through our darkness, that is, through the dark parts of our hearts, the deep darkness in our hearts, to deliver us out of darkness. Verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Here's a question for us, Transit Church. Are you aware that there's darkness in your soul? Are you aware that there's darkness in your soul? Back to Star Wars. You guys remember Return of the Jedi? Like, y'all are not a sci-fi crowd right here. <laughs> right. So Return of the Jedi, 1983. Most of y'all weren't even born in 1983. I was, like, almost done with high school by then. All right? So... Uh, this is actually Star Wars Episode Six. It was the third movie, unless you go back to the, 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 the prequels, right? But if you add the prequels, it's, it's Episode Six. You got Luke Skywalker. Luke is a, a savior-like character that has been building up to be, you know, basically, basically be the, the hero of the story. He's the one that's going to use the Force to set the world aright. He's being trained by Master, uh, Master Yoda. He's learning all the, you know, all the, 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 the weapons and the means of the Force. And in, in this particular episode, he learns that Darth Vader is his father. Remember that, that famous line? Luke, I am your father. Like, I, I love that, right? Iconic. By the way, um, if, you go, if you watch the Lego holiday movie, that, that scene is in there too. It's pretty cool. And so, of course, uh, Darth Vader, a.k.a. Anakin from the prequel, is, you know, he himself was a, a former Jedi Knight, uh, rising and acclaimed. He was going to become, you know, uh, a, a great general for the rebellion. And uh, so you got this, I guess at some point, he had turned to the dark side, mostly because of the anger that was in him over what had become to his mom. And so uh, in the climatic scene of, of this particular episode, uh, Luke is fighting his father, Death, uh, Darth Vader. He finds out he's his father, but he still fights nonetheless. And um, Luke has the opportunity to kill him, but sort of learns that if he does that, it's going to basically push him over the ledge. He's going to, to go to the, the tipping point and himself become, uh, become dark. And so as he's about to destroy him, he relents. And the reason why I bring that up is this particular scene, I think, um, represents the struggle that's going on with, within all of us, right? There's a darkness within all of us, and it only takes something significant for us to see it. 
Here's what Jesus says in, in, in John 3.19. John captures Jesus' words. He says, this is the judgment that light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest he works, lest their works should be exposed. Now, Jesus is saying something in particular. And again, I want to paraphrase what Jesus says. Not that I should be able to, I don't have the license to paraphrase what Jesus is saying, but, but here's what Jesus is, is saying. He says, Jesus exposes our darkness for what it is, right? So, so here's the thing. Um, we only know what light is when it's juxtaposed to darkness. We only know what darkness is when it's juxtaposed to light. So we know what darkness looks like in the world because of the light of Christ shining on, on everything. We particularly know what darkness in our souls look like when we are exposed to the light of Christ that comes into the world and that gets near to our hearts. And so Jesus' light exposes our darkness for what it is. And the closer you get to Jesus, the more you see the darkness that's within you. You see, our natural propensity, the Bible tells us, our natural condition is to walk in darkness. And, and here's the thing about the, the, the evil tendencies that are within us. We can't self-discipline them out. We can't volunteer them out. We can't do good them out. We can't Bible study our way out of them. They're, they're in us because it's part of us. Our natural condition is to walk in darkness, but Jesus is the one, the Bible says, who delivers his people from that darkness. Second Corinthians 4, 6, Paul says this, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul can utter these words because he, he lived it. Remember Paul in Acts, Acts 9? Paul was the former Saul of Tarsus. He was a Pharisee, smart, uh, religious zealot, and he made his living by persecuting Christians. And he was on the road to Damascus going there to persecute Christians, to, bring, to, to arrest them, bring them back to Jerusalem where they probably would have been executed. But what happens on the road to Damascus? Paul meets Jesus. How does Jesus appear to Paul? A bright light, so bright, Paul goes blind for three whole days. He hears Jesus speaking to him, Paul, Paul, Saul, actually, why are you persecuting me? And in that moment, Saul's darkness, the darkness that was in him, is exposed to the light, and the light drives the darkness out of him, and it changes his life in a moment. He meets us in our darkness that's what, we ha that's what happens to Paul. Scripture says Jesus calls us out of your darkness into his marvelous light. We looked at that when we looked at it in our, in our first Peter series. Now, some of you are thinking, well, Jeff, you know, I'm a Christian. And so this idea of darkness being me, isn't there a contradiction there? And I would say, absolutely. There is a contradiction here. But all of us sitting here, we remember perhaps and still see in our lives and in our past the, the, the darkness that we were enslaved to. Many of you remember, without me even having to uh, jar your memory, the, remem the remnant of, of darkness in your sinful nature that's still there. Galatians 5 says that there will always be a battle between your flesh and, and the spirit. The flesh, in, in Paul's writing, is that part of you that's not submitted to God. And I think we would all recognize there are parts of us that are not submitted to God. Those are the parts of us, of us that do what we want to do. And yet the spirit is that part 
that God gives you, that's, that's like God, that draws you to Jesus. There's likely dark corners and dark recesses and dark places in all of our hearts, which makes John 3.19 absolutely right. In a sense, we love darkness. And we struggle with the light because we love that darkness. And so what do we do with that? What do we do with those parts in us that tend toward darkness? I think John gives us the answer. In verse 5, John says, Where light shines, darkness cannot overcome it. Darkness cannot, darkness cannot, be, cannot overcome light. John 8, 12, we looked at this verse already. Jesus says, Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In other words, there's a, there's a change, there's a transformation, there's a newness that Jesus is promising. That Jesus, as light of the world, will bring light to you. You're destined not to walk in darkness. The darkness will not win. The promise of Jesus is he meets us in our darkness. But he also delivers us out of that darkness. And so, Trenton Church, I don't know what you're struggling with. I don't know if you're struggling. I don't know what that darkness that you have in you might be, if there is any. But I do know the promise of Scripture. And here's what Scripture is promising to us, is if you belong to Jesus, if he's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, then darkness will not win. That's the promise of Scripture. You're not destined to walk in darkness. If you belong to Jesus, nothing can take you away from the light of Christ. If you have Christ, you have the light of Christ. And it can't be taken away from you. Darkness cannot win. That's the promise of Jesus. Christ the light meets us in our darkness, but he also delivers us out of darkness. And that's the kind of ending that we hope for in the movies that we watch, right? Particularly science fiction movies. Those thrillers like Star Wars. You have this scene where somebody's in trouble. Things are, things are not going right. We're rooting for wrong to be righted. The antagonist to get caught. We want good to overcome. All that's bad. And you know what? Sometimes that actually doesn't happen in the movies that we watch. So just turn that movie off and go get through something else to entertain yourself, right? Because the reality is, it's what we experience in Scripture, in the Bible's story of redemption. Because that's the hope that Isaiah gives us. And that's the thing that John is telling us, that when darkness is over all the earth, here's what God does. God looks down from heaven, he sees a battle raging, and he doesn't just stand by and look down and say, oh man, it looks awful down there, I hope they're going to be all right. Right? God, your God doesn't do that. Instead, God enters the story. He enters the story in Jesus. That's what happens at Christmas time. God enters the story in the person and the work of Jesus. And in Jesus, we see God's powerful rescue and his wonderful redemption. And that, Trinity Church, is the hope of Advent. The birth of Jesus. His life, his compassion, his teaching, his miracles, his passion, his death, his resurrection, they're all pouring to this epic story. The epic story, this battle between good and evil, between darkness and light. And when you get to the end of story, Jesus is hanging on a cross, and it looks like evil has the final word. But guess what? Jesus gets up, right? Jesus doesn't stay in the grave. 
God raises him up from the grave. We believe that Jesus' life does not end in the grave. Instead, God, by his spirit, raises him from the grave because hate and evil and even our own sin never have the final word. And so no matter how dark our circumstances can be, no matter how dark our world may seem, here's what Scripture encourages us with and promises to us, that God is with us. Jesus is the light of the world, and he will bring light to our darkness. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We pray that you take these few words, Lord God, and you would use them as balm for our souls. Lord, the truth is that there are parts of us that so yearn for your light. At the same time, there are parts of us that that, that hide from your light, and, we, yearn, and, and, and we, we seek the darkness. We pray that the darkness in us will be overcome by your light. So shine your light, shine your light, Lord God, uh, in this room. Shine it in the hearts and the souls that are here. Shine your light on those who would join us by the, by the internet. Shine your light through your word. And God, cause us to be lights to, to those that we experience out in our families and in the world so they would know who you are and that you bring a light to the world. We pray this in your great name. Amen and amen.